This is the Power Producers Podcast, where we are refining and redefining the sales game. Rule number one is you have to believe in yourself. You're the only one who doesn't think you belong in this appointment. The prospect has already validated your existence by scheduling time with you. Get it through your head you belong here. Go in there, crush it, and close the deal. A place where sales professionals can come to learn from other sales professionals and thought leaders that have mastered their craft. The difference between a good salesperson and a best-in-class salesperson is only two minutes. By spending an extra two minutes on what you might think is a mundane task in the sales game, you separate yourselves from the pack, you grow your book of business, you close more deals, and you retain your accounts. As well as their peers who are still striving for perfection to achieve their why. I have a wife and four kids. Failure is not an option. Real sales professionals. Real stories. Real results. It's no different than being a professional baseball player. You can't be a one-trick pony. You have to be a five-tool player in order to succeed in this game. This is the Power Producers Podcast. Production redefined. Are you ready to feel the power? Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Power Producers Podcast, where we are refining and redefining the sales game. Today, we have Mr. Joe Clevenger on the podcast with Kyle and I. What is going on, Joe? Not a lot. It's worse on Indiana, so there's not much action today. <laughs> what does action in Warsaw, Indiana look like? I mean, if you were to go with action, what would that be? Well, we're orthopedic capital of the world, so that's about that tells you how exciting it is. We got a bunch of engineers here, um, so they're they're exciting people to hang out with. I can tell you beyond a shadow of a doubt, and I mean no disrespect to anybody at all in the engineering profession, but having been in meetings with engineering firms regarding insurance, I will never pursue that class of business. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's interesting. I mean, I appreciate the way their mind works, not when I'm trying to explain total cost of risk. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. No, Warsaw is a great town. It's a small town. Um, I think populations like Fifteen thousand, but uh, we have a lot of lakes, so we enjoy those. Yeah, I noticed, man. Boating seems to be uh, one of your deals. You guys ski too, or not yet? We're trying to get into it right now. The kids are a little small for it. Um, our oldest, she's gotten up on skis, but uh, and she wants to learn now. She wants to learn like wakeboarding and wake surfing and all that stuff. But that's an expensive hobby. Yeah, yeah. Any. Any of the water sports are, man, it's ridiculous how much that stuff costs. I got into wakeboarding was just starting to come on to more mainstream stuff. We used to go. I would love to see you wakeboarding. That would be fantastic. (laughs) You will never see it because I've never been on one. Um, But as I was saying, Kyle, I I had gotten into kneeboarding. Oh, there you go. Which would probably be better for you to see me do than wakeboarding. Um, but that was the big deal everybody was trying to do. I, we used to go to this lake in South Carolina every summer when I was a kid. And, you know, I, I could ski with, you know, two skis. I could slalom. I could kneeboard and all of that. And then I quit doing it. And for like three years, I didn't go. And I had grew, grown up. I wasn't fat then, but I had grown up. And I'll never forget it because I just thought I was going to get out of the water the first time. And I just about ripped my wrists off both of my arms. <laughs> from the thing trying to pull me out. So it's interesting sport, but it's, uh, it's fun, man. I enjoy it. Why don't you spend a little bit of time to talk a little bit about how you got in the insurance industry and tell us a little bit about your agency. Yeah, I was basically born into the insurance industry. So uh, my father started the agency in 95. He was, um, he was working at an independent agency and then broke off, started his own agency in 95. And, so I kind of just, I mean, I was in the office all the time with him when he started. He started from scratch and just, you know, we would go in and hang out in the office after hours while he was chugging away. Um, then I went to IU, had all these, uh, this ambition and all these things I wanted to do out of college and um, didn't quite make it out. I partied a little hard. So when you do that, you tend to uh, <laughs> get uh, bad grades and, so that was a tough conversation I had to have with my parents on why I was getting kicked out. Um, 
Mr. Blutarski, you have no great point average. Yeah, I listen, I think it happens to the best of us, man. It, it's funny because I read, I'm trying to remember what book it was. I don't remember if it was Freakonomics or if it was something that Malcolm Gladwell wrote. It may have been one of Gladwell's books. But basically what it said was that the average Fortune 500 CEO was a 2.0 student yeah. in college. And the re- the reason why they are so successful is because they didn't take their education as seriously as other people did. So developed social they skills. understood yeah. right. social aspects. And that, that allowed them to progress through corporations. They always had the intellect. They were just <laughs> yeah. immature, right? And if I look back at myself, I've always been a, a relatively intelligent person. I'm not going to say I'm the smartest guy. I'm not Elon Musk, but I mean, I can hold my own if I need to on Jeopardy or whatever. <laughs> I just didn't have the motivation or the maturity to make it through. And so I took this Harley route and eight years later, I graduated. <laughs> we made it through. Yeah, I did. Uh, working 80 or 90 hours a week, you know, stocking pork and beans all day and going to class at night. It was not optimal. So, you know, I learned my lesson. I took it a lot more seriously at that point. All that proves is that I had the ability to do it to begin with. I just didn't use my ability right. And I think that as we get older and we mature more and, and start looking at things from different perspectives, it's easier to align your talent with your motivation and your execution. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, so that was a big thing for me is getting booted out, having to talk to the parents. And my dad said, well, you're coming back. You don't have a job, so you're going to work for me. Um, mm. He was getting ready to have open heart surgery. So it was kind of like, hey, I'm going to have to be I'm going to be down and out. I need to trust somebody at least in the office to handle payments and go to the bank and do all that stuff. So that's kind of where I got my foot in the door um, from that side of it. Um, so I started in 2006, I, I think it was 2006, working for him. And then my wife joined the agency in 2007 after she did graduate early from college. So she was the smart, she's the smart one. Um, you know, I, I, I've definitely married up in the, in the whole thing. And she, she had to marry down to my level. So for sure. As we all have Joe, <laughs> not, but, not, not alone in this conversation. <laughs> So after that, I just jumped right into the insurance industry, um, got my butt kicked a little bit. And then in 2017, my father was enjoying Florida more than he was enjoying uh, Bursa, Indiana in the winter. <laughs> so we had to have a conversation on like, hey, you know what? There's stuff that's got to get done in this uh, at this place. And I can't make decisions with your money. I need to be making it with mine. So uh, nice. my wife, Gina, and I bought the agency from him. Um, and since they're kind of grown through acquisitions and now, you know, we're trying to focus more on some organic growth here in the last year. And if I remember from times, you know, you and I have talked in the past, your wife's kind of in the benefit side, right? She is. She's really big into the benefit side. That's kind of where she, uh, she, she loves it. I mean, she's just a cold caller. She was on, I think you're, Last week you had a call, um, and Kelly was on it from APP, and she was on that call, and she's like, "Yeah, he just everything he said just makes sense. You know, it's just I got to do it. You know, to pick up the phone and make the calls. So yeah, she's she not made, scared. I wonder if she was on the one from. Uh, I was on one last week with Advisor Evolved on landing. Yeah, that might have been what it was with That's Chris. Probably what it was. Yeah. Yep. Kelly's good too. Don't get me wrong. I like Kelly. I just so, went on a podcast or anything with her. <laughs> I need to be. She's a smart lady. Yeah. So how, what's the what's the mix of the agency um, in terms of PNC versus benefits and all of that? Yeah, so we're about 30% commercial lines, 30% benefits, and then um, the remaining is personal lines. I'm going to help you there. That would be 40%. 40%. See, I told you, man. <laughs> I can make it through basic math. <laughs> but it's interesting. So you've grown that. I mean – you mentioned acquisitions. You're in an area that you basically said was not like a thriving metropolis. So I can't imagine that there's like dozens of agencies that you can acquire in the general vicinity. 
how do you guys go about that process? Start with like, how do you even identify where you're going to look for an acquisition? Well, the first one was really easy because that was my dad. So it was like, hey, you're going to, you got to sell to me or I'll go figure something else out, which he never, there was no question on that. Um, the other one were, so I'm an, we're an Erie agency. Um, that's one of our biggest carriers. And Erie's just one of those quirky companies that, you know, they like Erie on Erie uh, transactions. So, you know, just talking with field reps, going to Erie meetings and meeting with the people. Um, Kilgo kind of beats me up uh, on this one because he asked, how do I meet all these people? I said, well, you go to these meetings and you sit down at the table with the, the older guys and you sit down and you start talking to right. them. And you become right. their friends. And then when they want to sell, it's, hey, Joe, I want to sell to you. So, you know, it's kind of uh, just sitting down and building the relationships with them. Um, so that they feel comfortable that their book of business is going to be handled. You know, it's interesting. Erie is a carrier that comes up all the time. Like even inside Killing Commercial, we've got so many Erie agents and we don't have them in Florida, but mm -hmm. they remind me a lot of what auto owners is like, or some of these others that aren't really, I mean, I guess they're regional. I didn't realize auto owners was as regional as what they are until I looked at their footprint, but it's kind of the same way. And I mean, that makes the acquisition a lot smoother if you have a carrier like that on board, because otherwise it could go south in a hurry. Yeah. I was part I was part of an acquisition early in my career, and we had three carriers that we were going to add to the mix of our agency. One was auto owners, one was Cincinnati, and one was Westfield. And we made the acquisition and Westfield ended up saying, sorry, we're not going to allow you to keep our contract. We contracted with the other group, but you're out. No, we were fortunate that auto owners in Cincinnati went ahead and, and let us stay on with them. And I'm pretty sure that they're glad that they stayed on because that agency has done, that agency has over a hundred and some million in revenue now. So, you know, it was a good move, but that was 15 years ago when we were just starting out, who were we at that point? Um, but yeah, I mean, I think that's an important point. And if people are out there looking to make acquisitions and you've never done that's it before, I have to have some conversations with carriers as part of the due diligence process. Yeah. Yeah. What are I some mean, other, yeah, what well, are some uh, other, go ahead. I was just going to say, you know, and it, it, the important part of it is, is, you know, we got into a bidding war with another, um, much larger, actually it was a bank on one of them and they, they weren't going to have Erie. Um, so, you know, the value that they were going to bring to the table was much less than what we could because mm. we're looking at it as a as we're going to be able to maintain the Erie book of business where they're going to have runoff um, and they've got to account for that. Um, our contingency checks are going to be much larger because now we've grown our book by a million plus versus, you know, they're, they're going to be looking at moving a lot of that. What are some other things you look at when you're talking to these guys, you know, when you guys are playing dominoes and drinking coffee or whatever it is you do with the old guys when you're building your relationship? What, what are some other things that you that you look for as you get down that road that you think are important? Yeah, I mean, carrier, you know, the book split up, like how their how their book is set up. Um, we look a lot into the, you know, commercial lines versus personal lines. Um, and then their financials. Financials are a huge part of it for me. Um, I don't know why I just have gotten into the digging into the financial side of, of books. Um, you know, a lot of them will, you'll hear a lot of people say, oh yeah, two times revenue or two and a half times revenue on that book of business. Um, I'm one that uses right now EBITDA. Um, but now I'm even looking, um, because of Warren Buffett and his way of valuing businesses is more on the cash flow side. So the last few, Last few oh, months, I've been digging into how he's valuing them from a cash flow standpoint and seeing if that's a viable option um, in the future, in future acquisitions. Talk about that a little bit. So what's Buffett's stance on that? And how would that translate or how are you uh, attempting to translate that into the, the agency world? Yeah, so he's looking at free cash flow is kind of what he looks for. So he's trying to see how much free cash flow is in a business, um, you know, if and you're, take, you're, you're, you're taking a lot of the expenses out of that. So like loans and uh, the interest that you're paying on those loans, the amortization on those, you're pulling a lot of that out um, to find the key free cash flow. So if they didn't have these those specific expenses, 
um, in the business, how much money would be coming into it. And then he can determine, you know, how much, mu how much cash is going to be uh, on hand. Um, and then the hard part of it from our, from my standpoint is, is figuring out, are you taking that time? You know, from an EBITDA standpoint, most that I've talked to um, are seven, you know, between six and a half on the smaller side, six and a half and seven and a half times EBITDA uh, earnings before interest taxes, depreciation, amortization. Um, and then, you know, that that's what they're looking at. So you're talking to the big boys, you know, like uh, Arthur Gallagher and those guys that are trying to buy, they're offering much higher numbers like 10, 12. Um, I talked to one and he was like 14, but what they put in there is a lot of contingencies within their, their, their buy sells. So yeah, we don't I mean, offer like, that. Burnout agreements and all kinds yep. of stuff like that. I mean, that's the last thing you want as an agency owner is to have to stick around for five years or whatever. It's um, what do you see as being the span? What, what's the difference typically between EBITDA and net profit or even what, what's typically, so, I mean, I hear the same stuff, right? If I have an agency that does a million in revenue and I'm going to keep the numbers round because I'm not that mm -hmm. good at large, at large number math, I can do small stuff. But if I'm looking at a million dollar revenue agency, what would be a reasonable amount that I could expect EBITDA to be? Uh, it just depends on their expenses. It's, 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 it's business to business. And it's one thing, you know, I see a lot of people talk about, you know, and I, and Nick had a, um, a guy on and talked a little bit about financial stuff. And even when I look at these books, you see them put things in their financials and I, I'm, a, I'm honest when I look at it. So I pull them out and I say, look, I'm not going to, this isn't going to ding you, but you know, like I've watched people buy football tickets through their business. Um, you know, they're buying, they're, they're putting cars, you know, mom and, or not mom, but their wife's car and their kids' cars through the business. Um, they're just writing off a, as much as they can through the business because they're trying to save from a tax perspective. Um, but, but it's crushing their valuation. It's crushing their valuations. And so when you're looking at it from an EBITDA perspective, their expenses are super high and it's pulling down um, their their profits. And so when you look at it and you're trying to value it, if you're not honest with it and you're pulling those out, they're going to get much lower number than, you know, what they're thinking on it. You know, when everybody's talking two or two and a half times uh, revenue, you know, they're looking at two to two point five million. Well, now they may be looking at one because they've pulled so much money out of their business. Hmm. When, uh, like, when you've been looking at the free cash flows, have you found any trends or anything interesting when you're looking at that? Not yet. I haven't done enough. Yeah. Um, you know, I've we've bought uh, three, and so it's. Uh, I've looked at uh, five of them. I made a mistake on my first one on just trying to figure out a valuation, you know, that's the way I, I learned that like, this isn't the right way to value a, a book of business. I was like, you know, they had a progressive book. Well, I'm going to value that at 1.2. And then they had, um, you know, other, other books of business, um, ENS business, you know, that's one. And it's too hard to value each specific book based off of that. So the way I look at it is it's revenues, revenue irregardless of how it's made, it's, it's, it's the commission that we're earning. So I can't break out progressive and say that that's worth less. Um, it, it may devalue it from a time standpoint on the EBITDA side, but it, I can't value just that specific part and say, well, this is worth less because the commissions are, are it's progressive. So I just look at revenues, revenue, and then overall value it. Um, you know, if it's, if it's seven times because I'm going to be able to earn larger contingencies, I can pay them a little bit more, seven, eight times EBITDA, because I'm going to get more value out of that book for somebody else. I'm going to do this as a favor to you, Joe. You're going to have to be really careful because if you start acting and thinking like Buffett, Kilgo's not going to talk <laughs> to you anymore. Like Kilgo won't even have lunch with Buffett anymore. He told us that on the he told us that on the podcast. He went twice, but he he hosed him the third yeah. time. No thanks, Buffett. <laughs> yeah, well, Warren and Geico. I mean, he's a smart guy. I just don't know about the Geico situation he's got going on. 
Yeah, no kidding, man. So listen, you're working in the agency with your wife. You're acquiring agencies with your wife. There's probably a lot of people out there right now that are thinking to themselves, what the heck does that look like? I mean, I don't know that I could handle Look, I love my wife to death, but I also love my time at the office every day. You know, and I'm not, <laughs> not home. What's that look like? And I know you guys have some content that you're putting out right now that talks about it. So why don't you tell everybody a little bit about that? Yeah, so we started a, a podcast uh, for richer or poorer. Um, it's not specific to the insurance industry. It's specific. It's more specific to husband, wife, own businesses. Um, we have friends that own uh, husband, wife, own businesses. So we thought it would be good. I get asked a lot, and so does she. Like, how do you work with your spouse? I had to strangle mine, or, or whatnot. So. Um, we thought we would answer some of those questions in our in our podcast and just have people on to talk a little bit That's about interesting. That. I mean, I, I, I used but, to work yeah. with my wife as well, but we it was we weren't in the same like office very often. I mean, we would be in there in the morning uh, and then at the evening, but like during the day, we were out, you know, making sales calls. So it wasn't like we were sitting in a cubicle next to each other or we could walk down the hall. And so <laughs> I think that would be a different dynamic. I, I don't know that I would be able to do that. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's uh actually well, we're having a hard time right now because she's not in the office because our kids are doing e-learning. So it's different because normally if I have an idea and I'm like probably up there with David, uh, Dave on this, that I just have ideas that come out of nowhere. And then I'm running to her office to like tell her, hey, here's this new idea I want to run with. And, you know, she'll either shoot me down or be like, yeah, go ahead or just listen to the crap I'm going to spew. Uh, <laughs> Speaking of which, man, before I forget, I remember the last conversation that you and I had, and we need to have an offline conversation about something that okay. Todd, Tam, Todd Tams is working on Okay, that, that I want to share with you that I think might couple nicely with what your idea was regarding the uh, audit stuff. All right. Yeah. I'm always interested in that stuff. Yeah, he's got some cool things. I'm not all you have to wait to hear about it. I'm not going to tell anybody, you know, live right now. That's up to him to reveal. But he's he he and I talked earlier this week and he's got some pretty crazy stuff. He's uh, a smart man from a technology standpoint that's going on. Oh, yeah, definitely. Love, love talking to him. I always feel like I learned something when I talk to Todd. Speaking of technology, I mean, you're going through these acquisitions What's that look like, man, with the tech from a tech perspective? I mean, that to man, me, that, that's that's got to be to me. That's probably the scariest part of it. I mean, the numbers are the numbers. If you mm -hmm. can get through that, you know, aside from the fact you have to assimilate people into a different culture, you know, that's standard practice. That's to be expected. But good God, I mean, there's so many different agency management systems and everything else out there. What are you looking at from a technology standpoint when you're when you're in, in in these agencies trying to figure out if it's something you want to do? It's a mess. I'm I'm be honest on that. It's a mess, and it's and it's you know you're talking to people that are 65 plus years old. They've been you know some of you know the one was a seven person shop, um, and their staff is about the same age. Nothing wrong with that. I mean that's my dad's. Uh, same with you know my dad's age, but their technology wise they're just way behind they don't have they don't have the infrastructure they're not using the a m s systems the way that we use them um they still have huge filing cabinets stashed with stuff and it it's a mess i mean Oof. we had three management systems at one time that we were trying to run through from the acquisitions what, when you see that though I've got to believe that affects the valuation that you're going to give them no one uh, be lifting. It it I didn't depreciate that at all. Um, just knowing that we we're going to move it all um, into our systems. Um, actually, when I look at it, I you know I know that it, some of the like the one we moved pretty quickly um, out of their system. We still had a one open contract just to go back and look at it, but um, we could remove some of those expenses out of it. So we knew that was going to be a cost savings once we took it over. The big part of it is, is just they don't document the same way we document. They have files. So we had to hire in, we had interns. Actually, I had to hire my mom um, for a short period of time. And she scanned in tons of paper and just attached them to the, the files on our end. 
When so. you said you had to hire your mom, the first thing I thought about was, I bet there were fresh cookies in the break room every day. <laughs> like if somebody's if somebody's mom worked here, the, so the, yeah, that that is exactly what it would be like, and it would be horrible. Oh uh, yeah, she she did. She was well. She's uh, she loves like she's not Hispanic, but she grew up and uh, she lived in Guatemala. So she brought in like black beans and like Ooh. fresh tortillas and stuff. Um, so you know, that was right up my alley. That's what I'm talking about. I I'm a big cooker. Very, um, very she's got me into that. Man, you can do a lot. Man, of Mexican things. breakfasts are like or my favorite thing. Yeah. Oh, black beans, corn there tortillas, eggs. <laughs> With an avocado, it's like that's the breakfast of champions right there. Yeah, no, I'm with you. You know, it's interesting because different parts of the world do things differently, obviously. There's a freaking just rocket science moment I gave everybody. But I went to Nicaragua a couple of years ago, and the thing that blew me away about Nicaragua was these little fried cheese cubes that they served with every single meal, like this – it's queso frito and you just take it. So I didn't realize that we even had it anywhere normal in the United States, but Sam's has these massive blocks of it that you can buy. Hmm. So when I'm not behaving on my eating, that's an every Saturday morning thing. And now my youngest son, Ethan loves it. So every Saturday when we wake up or when he wakes up and subsequently we wake up, it's because he's running across the family room at the top of his young lungs, screaming "fried cheese, fried cheese, make me fried cheese now." <laughs> we like we laugh all the time. It's like uh, it's like Will Ferrell and Wedding Crashers with the meatloaf. That's what he is, but it's whatever it is that he wants. So is it just like breaded? No, you just fry the cheese fry and it softens and turns and, and like puts like a, a brown fried outside, coat yeah. around the outside, and it's gooey in the middle. Oh my goodness. Hmm. I'm so, um, Sounds fantastic. You put a it video is. up on on the uh, I will. Yeah, on how you make I'm, those. <laughs> there's a 100% chance that's getting made this weekend because right. it's my first weekend since Whole30 and we'll be able to do it. When you're moving the technology stuff around, I mean, I don't know a lot about having to change AMSs and I hope I never have to know anything about that, but I'm sure I will. That's that's a horrible process in and of itself, right? In terms of getting the data dump and the fact you have to pay to have somebody do that and then get it all set up. And I mean, I would imagine, talk a little bit about that process because the sequencing has to matter too. Do you document everything in the old system before you migrate it so that it's at least documented the way you do it? Or do you get the data dumped to where you can put it into your new system and then wait until then to do your file audits and everything and get your documentation in order. Yeah. So one of them, the one, I mean, they basically had nothing in their system. It was just basic (laughs) contact info. So that was an easy transaction. Like, Hey, just dump, we're just dumping contact info into it. Then we were scanning all of, you know, that's when we scanned in all of their paper from written notes to signed deck pages or applications and we were scanning those and attaching them to the file. The other one was with um, TAM, um, uh, which is applied owned. And what we moved to was Epic, which is applied owned. So that was super easy. I don't even think they charged us when we made that transition. And then we moved our own, all of our stuff over into applied Epic. So we were documenting and most of that moved over. What didn't move over, we used our, our VAs and they were able to, prior about, oh, geez, I think they worked on it for like two months, pull reports, get all of that information, and then start putting that um, into into the new system. So they pulled all of the reports. I didn't touch any of this. That's probably why I'm like, yeah, it's not that hard. It wasn't that bad. Um, but we left it to our VAs and, our, and, our, and the team that we have. Well, it's interesting that you said you used VAs to do it because I think that there are a lot of people out there that are changing systems that have figured out that may be the ticket, right? I was talking to um, Bradley Flowers this last week, and he w- we were talking about him moving to, moving everything over to Neon, and part of his heartburn was the amount of money that they wanted to charge him for the data migration but he said that they found that using VAs was the way to go. It ended up being more cost effective and really didn't take anything at all away from the process. Yeah. I mean, our VAs are fantastic. 
Um, I mean, they probably know that they know the system better than me. They may know it better than most of our staff. They I mean, they're in it all the time. So uh, who do you use? If you don't mind. Uh, me asking? No, uh, we use CoverDesk. Uh, OK. And we've had our we have three VAs and we've had them. Uh, one, I think, is about a year and two months and the other ones are almost at two years. So um, I wouldn't go back from having them. Our, they're part of our team. Um, I, I mean, we love them. If we didn't have them, we'd be in a lot of trouble. You know, it's funny because I need them. Like I need VAs bad. And we, you know, I've, I've known this. And the problem that I have is I'm in this like death spiral right now, because I know in order for me to scale properly, I need to have people doing, look, management 101, I have to delegate to the lowest level of competency. And I'm doing things I shouldn't be doing. The problem is that I'm going to have to like just put the brakes on or draw the process out and get everything I want to offload recorded on Loom, transcribed, given the instructions, get them up to up to speed. Who knows what the process looks like for that? You know what I mean? For me, it's very, very scary to think, We've got all of these cool things we do, and we don't we don't run like a normal agency does. So everything I do almost is unique to my firm. So it's not like I can go to a, a place that's worked with other agencies that VAs have a general idea of how to do things because almost every other agency they work with isn't basically running their business off of HubSpot as opposed to an AMS. You know that that's for starters, and a lot of the automation stuff that we do and how we handle our proposals and all that other stuff. And that's what freaks me out is I know that I'm going to have to do that. So this this week, literally, I just now started. If I go, I think before I do anything at all, I think to myself, is this something that down the road I may be in a position to outsource to a VA? And if the answer is yes, I've just started building, building a library of me doing basic tasks so that I can have that taken care of you know, by VAs going forward. But I, I really think it'll be six months before I'm ready to bring the first one on just based on the volume of things I have to document because we have processes. They're just not documented very well. Yeah. I mean, I would, I actually was on a, about a 45 minute call with a, a guy today who's looking at hiring one for commercial stuff. And I was just telling him how, what we, how we use them. And it was a game changer for us from a commercial standpoint and allowing us to be more free with our time to get out and do the things that generate um, revenue, you know, they're putting all of, you know, they're doing all of our quoting. We don't touch it. You know, you're getting a list of, a, you know, 75, 100 vehicles or driver's list that are mile long. And they're putting all that into the systems and we're not. And that just saves so much time. Yeah, absolutely. How do, how do your carriers um, view that? So there's, I know that there's been some pushback when we've had that conversation in the past. I mean, specifically, I remember our rep from progressive was in and he was pretty adamant about the fact that they check IP addresses to see where people are logging in and all of this stuff. And I know obviously the industry has moved that way a little bit, but if you had run into any issues with your carriers or do uh, they, well, by the way, if they don't know you're using VAs, this, I guess they do now, but um, you know, have you, have you had any of those kinds of conversations? Cause that was something that actually, kind of scared me a little bit as far as what we would be able to do, have them do and not. Yeah. I mean, we've had some talks with them. Some of them were worried on what they were doing or having, being able to access it. Um, I mean, they have access to everything else. It's, you know, okay. You don't give them access to your website, but they have access to our AMS system. hundred percent access. They can get the same information that you think you're hiding um, from not giving them permission to do a quote. The only the issue is, is that you're just going to slow our process down and we'll just figure out a way around it. Um, you know, we're not we'll give them our passwords and usernames. I don't I'll figure out a way to make it work. And I trust that. I mean, I trust our VAs like I trust our employees. They're probably the most trustworthy people that we have. Um, so, you know, I tell them all the time, these are specific to our agency. This isn't like you know, a hundred different VAs in a office that are working, working uh, for us. And it's a different one every time. It's the same person every time. And I think that the IP stuff, they're using AWS, which puts uh, the like VPNs into like a New York 
IP address. So they have no clue that they're based out of the Philippines. How do you get them to fit in with your culture? Um, art, man, they fit in great. It's crazy. I don't know how, I guess we, we kind of do. So we, we pull them into everything. I mean, they're, they're in all of our emails. They're in all of our comp, like our communication. We have zoom meetings. We pull them into the zoom meetings for Monday morning meetings. If we're doing, um, an event like a team meeting where we're all getting together, we'll, or, like, we didn't do it this last time because COVID over there, they're still kind of in lockdown, but we would order food for them so that they could get together um, and have a meeting, you know, if we're taking off, they're taking off. Um, we give them the same rights. So, uh, we used Matt and Zach and we're doing, um, some Babylon training. We pull them into it. They're in that training with us. Um, you know, they're doing the traction stuff where they have their own, their own little projects that they're working on. Like we have our projects. So, you know, they're, they're doing everything that our team here is doing. Interesting. They own, they earn bonuses. So like if we have a commercial bonus that we hit or a personal lines bonus um, that we hit, they get paid on their bonus as well. Not the same dollar figure because, you know, a dollar over there is going to go a lot further than a dollar here, but they still get bonused on those. Gotcha. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, you know, I use Jason Cass's group to do the podcast production for us. And he uses, you know, a couple of VAs over in the Philippines, and that's who actually does the editing, you know, show notes, all of that for us. And I was talking to Cass a couple of weeks ago, and I just said, look, Reza does an awesome job, man. I'm really happy with what she does. I'd like to do something above and beyond for her. What does that look like? Tell me what I could do to show her how much I appreciate what she does for me, because I'll be honest with you, brother. If I had to do the podcast production, there would be no podcast. I mean... <laughs> Cass's program that he has put together is so turnkey. If anybody is thinking about doing a podcast, they're crazy not to let them produce it. Because we do this recording like this, and that's it. I'm out. Mm -hmm. This goes into a Dropbox, and the next time I see it is when I pump it to social to, to get it out when it's getting ready to drop. And I, I do the teasers and that, but I like doing that. So it doesn't feel like I'm doing any work. So unbelievable. I'm just very, very impressed with the quality of work, you know, very responsive, very uh, proactive in communication if she notices something. So I just reached out and said, I'd like to do something nice. What does that look like? What's her interest? And he's like, well, you know, she's not really interested in much. She lives with her mom. They don't, you know, she doesn't really go out at night or whatever. He said, but if you gave her a hundred bucks, she would think she won the lottery. I'm like, done, hundred bucks. Come on. I made a lot of dumb hundred dollar decisions in my day. <laughs> took me eight years, took me eight years to get through college for crying out loud. How many C notes <laughs> you think I blew in that time frame? But anyhow, I sent her a hundred bucks and she sent me this email back that she just sat and stared at the screen in disbelief that I'd sent her this money and was just falling all over herself about how appreciative she was that we did it. We take so much for granted. We don't even think about things like that. And, I, you know, shame on the agencies out there that are using VAs to save money and they don't think about doing the stuff like that. Because let's face it, $100, yeah, maybe if you're somebody's grandma that grew up, you know, like mine in the Great Depression, $100 is still a lot of money to them just because of how they, they have gone through life. But for me, a hundred bucks is nothing. Yeah. You know, I can make a hundred bucks pretty quick, you know, doing a lot of things. You what know, kind of, if, if you want to, if things, you've got dude. a hustle, you, you can go out and find it. And I'm surprised you didn't tie Nicaragua into it somehow too. But anyhow, you know, I look at it a hundred bucks, you know, you can earn that in an afternoon if you want to go chop firewood for somebody, you know, or whatever. I, I just, it doesn't seem like a lot, but to know that that makes that kind of an impact on people, why wouldn't you want to do that? And listen, if you're doing it for selfish reasons, when you, when you reward people and you stroke them for the thing, doing the things that you want them to do, that makes them that much more motivated to replicate doing those things. Right. And I mean, I was talking to Miles Merwin a couple of weeks ago about him using virtual assistants because he and I and a few other people inside Killing Commercial are working on a project right now where we're going to base it off of a platform of VAs. And I know Miles has three or four that he uses. And he was telling me that 
his agency paid 500 bucks and bought a stove for one of their guys that was a VA that just did awesome work because the guy didn't have a stove where he lived. And I mean, you think about those things and it's just like, holy cow, man, we have so much that we can't even keep track of everything we have. And here's a guy who doesn't even have a, I mean, they have a stove in his house. To me, I'd be like, okay, well, give me four more people that are VAs. And if they work like this guy, I'll buy every single one of them a stove. You know, and we'll get the matching microwave to go with it next month if they hit their numbers. Uh, so I'm, I'm interested because part of what we're looking at doing would be business development to a certain degree. When I know you said that you have bonuses in place, uh, like if you guys get a bonus that that's shared, you know, at a reasonable level based on the value of the dollar there versus here and all of that, but. Do you have like an actual structure or anything like that that you put into place where if the v- if VAs get certain things done, they qualify for more money with, from you or how does that work? Uh, not specifically for the VAs. It's based off our department. So, you know, like personal lines, if they hit certain tiers, they earn a bonus um, and they're part of that bonus. If commercial lines hit certain tiers, they earn a bonus and they're and they're getting paid on that. Um, and the way we, the reason why is like, it's, you know, it's new business and retention. Those are the two main drivers. Um, and they can impact that, you know, they're, they're sending out, um, emails and things to, to, to people. Um, they're providing information to us. And as soon as they get it to us, if it, if it's good or whatever they provided to us is working well, um, then, you know, we retain clients or we, if they go out and they shop an account with, five carriers and we get good pricing um, and are competitive and we write the account, you know, they did most of the work on the back end and are just feeding that to us to close. So, you know, we're, we're trying to build, um, I'm trying to build it a little bit differently from a commercial standpoint and hiring true hunters, producers that just purely hunt, call, hunt all day, bring back the deck pages and the information put in there what they want quoted, write up their summaries, send it to the VA, and then they're shopping everything out for them and then putting in a nice little bow on it and sending it back and saying, here's everything you Doing need. all the back end stuff, yeah. So that they are this closing, you know, closing accounts versus, um, you know, putting it up, doing all the back end stuff. Um, so, you know, one thing that we're str- I'm struggling with is trying to figure out a comp plan that, for our, you know, when we do bring on some commercial producers that would fit well with that structure because they're really, they're just going to hunt all day. They're not going to do any of the service work. They're not going to do anything else. It's purely hunting. Yeah. And that's really truthfully where we're sort of headed with what we're trying to develop on the back end. Um, you know, I'm a big believer from a marketing standpoint that the more things you're doing, the better chances you all have of bringing business in. So, you know, we've got those core accounts that the producers are going to want to maintain trying to get in front of. Kyle is going to go out. He may have his top 25 that he's already had some level of communication with or whatever else. And the expectation would be that he continue to manage those relationships. And then we have drip email campaigns that we have go out based off the 12 month solicitation calendar that I developed. Then we get into all of the direct, you know, direct mail. We can do telemarketing and things inside the agency. But to me, there's only so much time in the day to be able to do all those things. So what ends up getting missed is those soft touches, right? Maybe the two or three phone calls that you have to make before you can actually get to the point. Somebody will talk to you, maybe give you the opportunity to overcome objection, set and set an appointment or whatever else. And that's what I'm looking to do. I'm looking to set a wide net that we can canvas all of that stuff that's going to get ignored under normal circumstances that are actually still really good prospects for us. They're just not far enough along in the process to get our attention. And they shouldn't get our attention because it's going to take a long time to do it. And so what I fear happens most of the time is we have all of this stuff in our pipeline. And yeah, we might be dripping on it and you know, doing whatever, but we're not really doing everything we can. And I think telemarketing firms by and large tend to be way more expensive than what they're worth. So anytime I run into that problem in life, I just go build my own mousetrap for whatever it is that they're doing. 
And I try and make it in a way that number one, it's more cost effective for me, but also scalable. So that's really what we're doing. And, and truthfully, you know, in the VA model, if we can get this right, it's going to be huge for us because we can cap our expense. We were running the numbers yesterday. Uh, we had a, an exploratory call with everybody in Killing Commercial, probably had 30, 30 agents on there because they're all interested, right? You go to a telemarketing firm, it's expensive upfront. You typically have to pay extra money if they get an appointment booked or it could be some of them are licensed 220s. They want a percentage of any booked revenue that you get. Whereas with the VA, you can cap it at an hourly rate. And then if I look at how I want to set a bonus structure, I can do that. But we have some freedom to do that. Mm -hmm. My idea is take everybody in Killing Commercial that wants to be part of this, aggregate them together, go to the VA company and say, we want 4,000 hours a month from you. What's the rate? Yeah. You know, what's the VA company care? They don't care what these people are doing. They're making their money on the spread between what they're paying that person and what they're charging me. So volume is good for them. And if I can guarantee that kind of volume, I should get some efficiency in my pricing. But what I really want to do is get one and have them be really, really good. And then that one knows the process. Now we yep. can get two and three and four. And the next thing you know, we're operating at a really high level. And then I'll take it to a whole different, a whole different level because I have the ability to where I can include them inside the social network that I've built on Killing Commercial. I can give them their own profiles. And since they're collectively calling for everybody in there, I'll gamify it. I'll give them different badges depending on number of calls booked so that they have status inside the social network. I can bonus them off of that if they hit predetermined determined metrics. And we can just continue to breed this massive snowball that's going to continue to grow just through motivation in rewarding them in public the right way and also monetarily. And I got to believe it's going to work. The, the hard part is figuring out how to get the first one right. Once you do that, you can replicate them. And I mean, they're, they're phenomenal. I mean, they're phenomenal. The ones we're working with, and I'm sure where, wherever you're looking, they just, I was telling the guy today, they go above and beyond what our expectations are. I mean, we had one that she, in her time off, she created her own video to show our new app and how it worked and put together the video. And, you know, we didn't even ask her that. And then the, the other one, she's like, oh, yeah, I've been studying SEO and um, social media stuff. And she's she's the one that's been doing our podcast. So she's going to be changing up our podcast, putting in all that stuff, editing it, cleaning it up. She's cleaned up all she's cleaning up all of our videos that we're having on our YouTube channel. Um, so it's just like we didn't ask them to do this. All of a sudden they're just jumping in to do it. And you'll, wherever you go, I'm sure you're going to find the same thing. Um, I don't know. Ours are in the Philippines and they're just, I think it's that culture that's mm -hmm. they're just there to appease people. Right. Do you, are you guys using any type of CRM uh, like the Salesforce integration with, with Epic? We haven't. Um, we're looking at um, HubSpot. Um, mm -hmm. So, to, to start you say you're, you're looking at it or you yeah have it? we are in the we're in the free version so we're not really doing too much with it feel free to reach out man okay. uh, I, I i am agnostic on systems even though i use hubspot i'm i still look at it agnostically and i um it, it's really interesting because for years i have said like there's no chance that i'll move from there but I got to tell you, I am very much surprised. It, I ask too many questions to get through any kind of a demo in one session. So I'm only a portion of the way through Neon. And I'd seen Neon at Brainshare last year. And it's come a long way since then. And I, I'll, you know, I told Sydney when I took the call to, to do the demo, hey, look, I believe in everything you guys are doing. We've got an audience that listens to us. I'm happy to be a mouthpiece for you to further it. I get the concept. Financially, it doesn't matter to me because I'm not a good prospect for you. I've invested over $100,000 in HubSpot. I've got it built to a certain degree. I'm going to continue to customize it. So just know up front, the reason I want the demo is to understand the product and then be able to articulate that if people ask. Because people ask me about stuff all the time. I want to at least have a working knowledge of it. Yeah. 
They got me, Joe. They got yeah. me. I mean, I, I looked at the stuff that they had in there, and I'm starting to think to myself, well, you know, $100,000 in the long term. And I'm not saying that I'm interested in making the move yet because I still have to get through the rest of the demo. But good grief at the level of data that they can provide. And, you know, again, I just have so many things to weigh. Am I going to be in the game another five years, 10 years? I don't know. You know, so that all factors into my decision too. That's why I'm building rapport with you right now, Joe. I want you to buy my agency here in a few years when I'm ready know. to That's retire. A tough market down there. That's a tough market, Florida. But um, yeah, I mean, I just, I think it's crazy. So with regard to, um, I know you said you looked at HubSpot, but have you explored the Salesforce integration with Epic yet? Because I've got agents that I, I'm, Josh Gurley, I don't, you probably don't know Josh, but he's in Killing Commercial. And I would be happy to make that introduction for you. They just went all the way through the full-blown applied Epic integration with Salesforce with Pardot and everything and love it yeah. and could give you all kinds of information about it. Well, I'm probably in the same boat as you. I've been looking at Neon for quite a while or since, you know, basically since last year when it kind of came on the scene. I think Cass was the one that brought it up at uh, the Vegas um, IAOA event. He did. He talked about it a little bit when he was on stage um, there. Yeah. And then I kind of got intrigued and I was on a call with Sydney and um, Seth a couple of weeks ago and I'm just blown away. Um, actually, I got yelled at not only by my wife, but our staff because we just moved to Epic and I, they're like, well, what are you looking at? You know, what, what's the future? And I'm like, well, we're going to probably be here for like two years and then we'll be moving to Neon. Like we're not moving management systems again. And I'm like, I'm just telling you, your lives are going to be so much easier if we can get into this system. And so, you know, that's kind of where I pulled back on, you know, like HubSpot's free. How much do I want to invest in putting all this stuff together? If and I know in a year and a half, two years, we're yeah. going to be moving. And I would tell you right now, without even having any further conversation, don't. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's, that's where I, that's the problem. That's why it's so much of a struggle for me is because I'm looking at the money that's been invested and I'm looking at what we've had to do to build it out. And that's the problem. When you get a CRM like a Salesforce or a HubSpot or an Infusionsoft, you're getting a blank chassis. You're getting a chassis. That's it. You still have to build the whole car engine, put the gas in the tank and everything. And that's not cheap. It's not easy. And it's not free. You know, it's not free at all. I don't want to have to know how to do that. So I outsourced all of that. That's another expense to me every month. And it's money well spent. I'm not complaining about it. There's absolutely nothing wrong with HubSpot in our agency. I'm happy with them. Mm-hmm. I just saw some things that are like, hmm, yeah. that's something that would be worth knowing, right? Like, Because mm-hmm. I, I, I am the type that if I had that kind of data, let's just say there's a carrier that's making me work 37% more than another carrier, yet they're paying me two, more, two less points on commission. Well, now I've got the data to go to that carrier and say, two less points, you should be paying me five points more. Look at how much time I'm having to spend servicing your accounts. Your systems are clunky. You're not going to spend the money to upgrade your technology. You're going to have to give me some sort of financial reward for continuing to place business with you in addition to standard commission because I've got other people that are way more efficient that pay me more money to give them the same business. Yep. Yeah, I mean, the data that they're going to be able to provide is just off the charts crazy. And it just... Once we once we get access to that, it's going to change the way that we play. Just like you said, I mean, we're going to be able to go to our carriers and say, "This is you're you're behind times. We need to either catch up or figure out a different way to do business." Well, and the thing that I like the most about it that that's one thing that I like. I'm all about numbers. I'm all about managing by reports. When you run a grocery store or a retail operation, especially like if you're a hundred million or more a year in sales, like you know, some of the super targets and things that I had been in, you have to run your business by report. You have to have accurate information every day because you're going to make decisions that could cost a lot of money otherwise. And, you know, the, the thing that I like about what Neon's data provides is also the operational data on individual employees, mm-hmm. you know, to see. And that's that's what we originally or I originally wanted to accomplish with HubSpot was to be able to have one central place where we could go and have our marketing automations, our sales stuff, and also the service stuff that we do. So we do all of our tasks, all of our ticketing, all of that stuff inside HubSpot. And I could go in and I can run reports and I can see those things. 
the thing that if I were being critical about that product, the thing that bothers me, or, or I would say that would set Neon apart from that, I don't know that Neon gets that much more data than what HubSpot is capable of getting because HubSpot can do just about anything you tell it to do. Just like Neon was built on a Salesforce platform, I could create Dave's awesome product and put it inside a HubSpot and do the same thing. I'm not smart enough to do that, but if I was, I could. But what, what I like about it is I can go in and see, okay, in a dashboard, boom, here's how my service team is performing. That's that's what I need. And that's what I like about HubSpot, specifically with the ticketing, because I can go into the dashboard and if I see a bunch of tickets stacked up in a column, okay, there's a problem here. Let's drill down in this column and see why we're getting lost in this stage of the process. It's fine. I just think Neon's sexier, man, and how they yeah. present that information. And it's already done without you having to go through several stages to create some of that reporting that you would have to create. And what Seth blew my mind when he was ta- when I was talking to him is that like it's going to start telling what service person to handle a certain task based off of right. how fast they're completing that task. You know, an auto change, if I complete it 15 minutes faster than the next person, I'm going to get more auto changes. And that's huge to us is like just understanding, okay, this person's processing it 15 minutes faster than that person. We need to be pushing that stuff to them because they're going to get that task done quicker and it's going to save us time and money in the long run. Yeah, I just I think that they take analytics to such a different level than anybody else out there. Mm -hmm. It's and, you know, it's exciting to see. But the other thing, if, if I'm you know looking at this from a very, again, agnostic and logical perspective, it's also sad because I know that they're going to be the first, but somebody's going to come along behind them and they're going to figure out what the next mousetrap is going to be. So hopefully what happens is these guys get this thing out. They change the way the game is played and they'll forever be known as the ones who changed the way the game has been played. Listen, I hope they last forever. Yeah. They say they're never going to sell out. I, I believe that that's the case. I also had an accounting professor when I was in college for eight years one time that told me everybody has a price. It's just a matter of what that number is. Man, that was a conversation Nick and Preston had um, at uh, at a conference. I don't think I've ever laughed so hard on what what your what your dollar figure is. I don't know if you've had that conversation with him before, but okay. So I'm going to go ahead awkward, and say, but it, it I don't think I've ever cried laughing so hard in my life. So number one, yes, it was. I've had that conversation with them. <laughs> number two, it was even more awkward because my disgusted wife was sitting right next to me when that so conversation. I didn't, have, was I didn't have that. She wasn't with me, but yeah, and they didn't realize, you know, what was going on. But yeah, no, I know exactly which conversation <laughs> you're talking about. And Cass and his wife were also sitting there. Oh so boy, they got even more animated. Uh-huh. But um, it's crazy. I have one more question before yeah. we wrap up because I've got a theory. I'm interested in what your thoughts are. And I've I've talked about this a lot on podcasts the last little bit, so I'm not going to belabor it. But I like to ask different people from different parts of the country with different experience levels what they think is going to happen in the near future. And I think that – and you validated some of what I think just based on conversation today. But I feel like COVID is going to be a defining point for the perpetuation of a lot of agencies and that it's natural selection to a certain degree, in that these agencies that are older that don't have the technology and don't have the documentation in place, and they're operating out of filing cabinets, and they're not doing quote vids, and they're not doing Zoom meetings, they're going to go away. I think that what's going to happen is the multiples that people have been able to get for their books of business are going to diminish because these agencies aren't equipped to go to the next level. And we were actually on a call. I, Kyle, I think it was a podcast we were on, but I'm not 100% sure. It may have been the one with Greg Zahn, but I don't think it was. But there was actually a guy who said, you know what, I was thinking about selling my agency, but instead I'm just mm-hmm. going to quit servicing my accounts and let them run off as they want. And I'll make more money over five years than if I would have sold them. Mm-hmm. So my question <laughs> to you is, what do you think if you're putting on your anti-Kilgo Warren Buffett hat, <laughs> What what do you think is going to happen or do you have any ideas that you think uh, we're going to see with how some of these agencies are treated in the in the acquisition marketplace in the next next couple of years? I think we're going to see more of them, um, of the the older agency owners that are, are going to be tired of it. I mean, it's it's stressful. You know, you're 
when the, everything shut down, the agencies around us were all still, you know, people were still going into their offices. Um, we pulled, uh, I think we've pulled two, um, employ well, one employee from one, uh, recently because of the, you know, they're, they're sending them into work where we're all working from home. We still have the technology to, to work and operate. Um, and we were getting business for, we've getting quite a bit of business from one, um, agency here in town just because his doors were shut. He was in there working, but, or when he would leave, you know, he was, he was at home or shut down for a time period when everything was closed and they couldn't get a call. He couldn't pick up a call. He couldn't answer the call. Um, and he, he's a paper company. I mean, a hundred percent, there's no agency management system. Um, and you know, that's been a talk like, well, okay. From one of our carriers, Hey, if you're going to, would you buy him out? It'd be really hard for me too, because I know that everything is in mm -hmm. filing cabinets and I've gone down that road and it, the valuation is going to be dropping for those guys. Um, you're telling me that an Arthur Gallagher or one of these, uh, big, you know, big, um, firms is going to come in and want to scan all this paper in and take over that book of business. That's a lot of work for what they're going to be paying for. You know, they're not going to be paying the 10 times or 14 times or 12 times EBITDA. You know, those are, they're going to be devalued, at least in my mind, when those yeah, come that, around. That, that's exactly what I think too. And what's crazy about what you just said is Gallagher's got the resources to pull that off as quick as possible, but they'll just leverage the price down and, and make it a better transaction for them. And I think, I, I do think that's what's going to happen. I think that the people that are going to be willing to get out probably waited too long. They should have either adapted and adopted some new technology or, or, or gotten out years ago. And the right guys that are, yeah, and I think that the guys that's telling you, I'm just going to write it out. I mean, he, that may work for two or three years, but these carriers are starting to get pretty picky on it too. Um, you know, they're, Hey, where's our, you know, how often do you hear, you know, where's your growth? What are you doing? Why aren't you quoting us? Why, you know, we want more, we want more, we want more. What's their comeback going to be to them when they say, yeah, we, we, you know, I'm not, I'm just writing this thing out. Well, you know what? Your contract's terminated. You're going to have to figure out what you're going to do with this book. That's and, a good point. Um, you know, I, I can see that happening too, where they're just going to say, Hey, we're, if you're not willing to invest in the technology, we can't invest in you anymore. Um, so how many are the, of those are going to be gone and what carriers are going to be willing to work with those people? Um, to take book rolls and whatnot. And then that's even more work for them. So, yeah, yeah I think, I think it's going to be an interesting time, man. I mean, that's in, I'm, I'm glad that I have four years under me now, and this should be a really good year from a profit standpoint that I'm probably going to be looking to make some acquisitions in the next couple of years, just to round out what we have, because the one issue that we have here is by going after middle market accounts, my revenue per account is extremely skewed. So it sounds sexy that you can grow an agency, you know, relatively quickly with good volume. But if you don't have a good number of policies in force, in addition to that revenue to match up, then, then you've got a problem. So I, I don't, what I don't have is I don't have the policy count of a personal lines division, like somebody like your agency who's been in business for a while uh, I either have to grow it organically or I have to acquire something or I have to do both, which is probably what I'm going to end up doing. Yeah. And I don't know what the market's like down there. That's probably a really tough market. Actually, I could see quite a few agencies coming up for sale just because of how tough it is. I mean, I talk well, the with carriers Billy. are all pulling out. Yeah. The yeah, carriers I mean, are all pulling out and the property capacity is going away. The umbrella markets are shot. We're back to where we were in 04, 05 after the hurricanes came through and we're going to be here for a little while. I'm used to it. I've been in this market before. It was when I first got into the industry, but it's not anything that's new to me. So I know how to navigate it. Yeah. And yeah, that'll, man. that'll be a good advantage for me. That's if there's, if there's an advantage that I have, that's one of them is I came up in the absolute hardest time to write this stuff. And so that might actually come back to help me now. So it, it, it's a different market down there. It we're, is. That's the, uh, sure. we're, we're not like that. It's pretty, uh, we probably have the least expensive rates in the whole nation. It's, I, it's, I can assure you because I've got a guy in Indianapolis that's in killing commercial. And that's the one thing that he said was, you know, 
how can you get me in front of stuff like you have down there? And I said, well, I'll get you a plane ticket and you can come on down because you ain't got it in Indiana, you know, but it's a different approach. And I mean, that's the whole thing. You have to tailor your approach based on where you're at. And if you have a good process, the process works, just the numbers don't line up the way they would for us here in Florida. So I, I get all of that. Well, listen, man, we've been going for an hour. Um, you have given us a ton of really good information I know people are going to want to reach out to you and, and maybe pick your brain if they're looking at doing an acquisition or whatever else. Tell them, A, how they can find you, and B, how they can find the podcast that you guys have going out so they can subscribe yeah. to that and help you get your listeners. Yeah, we're uh, Clevenger Insurance Agency in Warsaw, Indiana. Um, Clevengerins.com is the website. Um, you can find me on there um, if you want to talk. Uh, the for richer or poor, I think it's richer or poorer on Facebook. We just started a Facebook page, so you'll see that we're sharing it on our Facebook page. Um, that's kind of just my wife and I talking through uh, being business partners and husband and wife, and hopefully people can get some good value out of that uh, along the way. But it's much it's much better better than the Nick and Preston conversation. <laughs> I can say uh, that unequivocally without even listening to it. <laughs> <laughs> Well, listen, man, I appreciate you coming on. Thanks for spending some yep. time with us. I wish you nothing but the best. You guys got some good things going on there. And I look forward to circling back with you here sometime, maybe next week to talk about there you the go. other stuff that I, I had mentioned. Joe. Yeah. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Absolutely, man. Have a good, have yep. a good weekend and enjoy your Labor Day. Stay safe. I'm sure you'll be out on that lake. Yep. All right, brother. See you See later, you. man. You've been listening to the Power Producers Podcast. You can follow Killing Commercial Insurance on Facebook and YouTube. And if you want to take your game to the next level, next level, check out our book, The Extra Two Minutes, and our website, killingcommercial.com. Killing Commercial.